Welcome to the Lighthouse Conversations, a podcast featuring entrepreneurs and tastemakers from the worlds of arts and culture, tech, and of course, food. I'm your host, Hesha Montasser. If you're enjoying the show, we'd love to hear from you. Leave us a review on your podcast app. And you can also tag us on Instagram at the lighthouse underscore AE. And if you're joining us for the first time today, you can follow the show on your favorite podcast player, such as Apple Podcasts or Spotify, so you are notified when new episodes drop every two weeks. I'm joined on the show today by Dubai's food critic by excellence, Samantha Wood, whom you may know as Foodiva. She launched her independent food review site 10 years ago and was quickly recognized for her work, including a second best blog at Ahlan's Best in Dubai Awards behind Huda Beauty. Since then, Fodiva has come a long way, not just more awards, but a regular feature on CNN, Condé Nast Middle East, Catering Middle East, among others, as well as a regular radio spot on Dubai Eye 103.8. She's also built, in my opinion, a reputation for being discerning and having an eye for quality. In my book, one of the key ingredients in building long-term brand equity. And perhaps the best part is that Samantha revealed that she's a regular listener of the show and that she's inspired by one of our own favorites, the episode with Deborah Kletter. I'm going to start by asking about something that you recently announced. So going forward, wanting to only review homegrown concepts. So concepts that were essentially made in the UAE. Is this for you an end of an era? in the sense that um, chef-driven restaurants, and celebrity chefs especially, driven restaurants, have been a thing everywhere in the world for, for many years now, certainly in the last decade, more and more so, including Dubai. Was this related to your decision or were these two very different things? The gloss has actually worn off celebrity chefs well before the crisis. And so when I say celebrity chef, I mean the big sort of imported global, names, international the global names. international names that Dubai or certain hotels have brought in here on um, sort of consultancy royalty agreements. There's been less and less of that. Um, it's been aggravated, I think, by the crisis, obviously due to, to lack of travel to an extent. At the same time, there's this huge appetite to support local um, and again, that was prevalent before the crisis, but it's been accentuated and, and it's been brought to the fore due to the pandemic. And you feel you want to play your part yeah. in supporting that? I've actually, I've been doing that for a good few years, but I just never announced it. Okay. But I made a point because I also wanted to hold myself to it. Because if I announce something, I then have to stick to it. Um, and over the crisis, I was getting requests for restaurant recommendations, which I always get requests for. But the number one criteria was, I want a local homegrown concept. Do not give me the name of an imported chef or a chain or something like that. So if you're building today your itinerary, which is something you do, so if I, I can come to you and ask for a bespoke itinerary, it would be all homegrown concepts, it essentially. Would. And you have no, no problem filling that itinerary? Oh, absolutely not. Okay. If no. anything, the opposite, I would imagine. It, yeah, exactly. And actually, it's, it's one of your podcasts that inspired me when you interviewed Deborah Kettler. And then we had a discussion around her business that I thought, okay, let me just try and see if I can frame this in some way. So 
I now offer this itinerary service or a recommendation service. I haven't actively promoted it because I'm waiting for sort of travel to open up. And actually, and I've had just through Google searches, I've just, I've had a few inquiries. And when you do that, and I asked Deborah, by the way, the same question uh, on this podcast, but I'm very curious, is it a, pre- a preset list that you will give me or you're going to look into my personal circumstances, my needs, and then sort of Fully, make a fully bespoke list? It is bespoke, but okay. I do have a starting point. So every year and in January, I announce what I feel are Dubai's top restaurants. So I have this guide, and that was born out of the fact that I was asked to recommend favorite restaurants all the time. So I don't want to name one favorite. It would be, I don't have children, but I expect it would be like naming your favorite child. And which people do all the time. By <laughs> which way. people do all, all the, the time. time. Yeah, just let you know. So that in, its, in itself is a bucket list. Now, on the back of that, bearing in mind that that comes out in January and then you'll have more openings throughout the year. So there might be some other restaurants that could potentially make the cut the following year. I use that as a basis but the itineraries are bespoke because it depends on, on what your requirements are. And if, are you looking, is it just you? Are you going with your wife? Are you going with your family? Um, sure. License versus unlicensed. What side of town? How many days? You know. I would imagine an enormous amount of people, whether it's restaurant owners or PR or others, come to you given your, the, the brand you've built, which I think is a fantastic brand here in Dubai and the whole UAE, frankly. Um, and the trust people place in your judgment to try to promote their restaurants or their concepts to you. How much is push? How much is pull? How much are you proactively going out and saying, you know what, I've heard about this place. I'm curious. It's doing this kind of cuisine. It's my kind of thing versus lots of people emailing you and saying, you know, Samantha, can you please come and review? It's a mixture, but the ones that um, excite me are the ones that are not on a PR list. So the ones that I discover either... Having heard something or someone within the industry, a supplier may have mentioned something. Actually, the one, and I'll give you an example of this one, was Fujia in um, the Millennium. It's an independent um, Japanese street food concept. Very casual. It's not high-end, but it's licensed. And a supplier happened to mention that to me. I'd not heard of it. And it had already been open about three, four months. I had not heard of it until you And I was like, put it oh on my your... God, this ticks every box for me. I need to go there. And I literally, I went that weekend and fell in love with it. And when you say it ticks every box, so what are those boxes? I'm just curious. I, I knew I was saying it and I knew you were going <laughs> yeah, to This was going to come later. But, you know, since you've brought up the boxes, let's talk um, about it. Well, the fact that it's under the radar. Okay. What puts me off is when I suddenly see loads of influencers, our bloggers, all going to the same restaurant. It moves to the bottom of my list there. Because those are more trendy and it's not necessarily authentic. Or- exactly. And, and I always think, gosh, if, if someone has the budget to appoint a PR or a marketing agency, then they probably don't necessarily need me. And I always love to support the underdog. And so, so that for me is the number one criteria. Uh, but then the homegrown box, if it's a, a different concept, like for instance, when we had all the Greek restaurants, I really struggled. They all came at the same time. All, and I'm half Greek Cypriot, <laughs> yeah, so I have a huge passion for it. But I was like, this there is so just, many. there's so many. I can't keep on reviewing Greek restaurants. So timing plays a huge role. If there's a lot of openings at the same time, which isn't the case at the moment, 
then someone some are just not going to get reviewed. Um, license over unlicensed, and that's on the basis not that. I don't believe in unlicensed because actually I go to a lot of unlicensed restaurants, but it's because the price point tends to be higher. So my readers are more inclined to want to read reviews of licensed restaurants on the basis they're going to spend more money there. So they want to know whether it's good enough ah, for them to go. You know, if, if you go, I have to, say, I you go to a breakfast place and you yeah. spend 100, 150 dirhams and it's not great, it's not it's a huge, but you go somewhere, a licensed restaurant and you spend 500, 600 dirhams per person, that's a lot of money. That's so interesting because I, yeah. I remember you always mentioning the licensed concept and it's on your website as well. So essentially you're saying, if you're going to spend this kind of money, it better be sure the quality is high and your job is essentially to try to navigate exactly. the, the quality. But having said that, I don't negate unlicensed concepts, but if I come across a really quirky unlicensed concept, then I think, okay, people need to know about this. Then I'll, I'll go in. Let's go back for a minute to when this started. You've had 10 years doing this. Congratulations, <sighs> which is... In Scary. Dubai in eternity. That's like 30 years anywhere else, which is fantastic. You've been building this business slowly but surely and very deliberately from what I can tell. Walk us back to when you started. What started you off? Okay, my background has always been PR, initially fashion and then, and then hospitality. And I was working for a leading hotel chain here, Hilton, six years, marketing, PR, corporate PR for the region. I'd had enough of the corporate world. I wanted to do my own thing, but I didn't know what that was. So I planned for it. I financially, I thought I'm going to give myself a year to, to figure that out. So I left, I traveled, and I'd always harbored this idea of being a restaurant critic. But Why? I, because I've, I've always had an interest in it. I grew, I mean, I, I worked in hospitality PR, but I grew up with parents as hoteliers. I see. Um, and were they very into food? Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Which is why I don't <laughs> like mushrooms, because they force-fed my sister and I mushrooms so all the time. Okay. <laughs> Do never force-feed your self. children yeah. anything. <laughs> so I was, we, I grew up in hotels. Um, I actually craved to have a family dinner at home because wherever my father was, we, he either worked for hotel chains, international ones or local chains. This was obviously whilst I was still in Cyprus and, and school there. So we'd spend weekends. And then you worked for a hotel too. It's so funny. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so. ironic. Um, through the back door though, I always swore as a result of that, I would never work in that industry yeah. but anyway never anyway, say never exactly so um I'd always harbored this idea and even whilst I was working in hospitality PR I obviously saw it from the other side of the fence but I knew I couldn't work for someone else doing that here because my honesty and my integrity would be compromised um, I was adamant that it should I should follow a model like they do in the UK with the, all the leading newspapers paper restaurant critics where it's anonymous to an extent what one of them is anonymous the rest are not but they all pay their own way so that's how Fudiva was born the name is fabulous by the way how did that come up oh, that's a shower moment yeah, <laughs> most of these things are shower okay. moments yeah, yeah fabulous name yeah I just wanted something that wasn't typically food yeah. and then hence the, the colors as well. Even though personally, I would never wear pink or very rarely wear pink unless it's something to do with Fudiva. <laughs> I wanted something that 
wasn't foodie in color. And almost, it's almost sort of like a, 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 I don't want to call it second personality, but yes. personality yeah. that's separate from you. Is that right? That's how I it felt. It is. It is separate. When I look at your website uh, and your colors and the name, and then I see you and know you now a little bit, I feel like you're creating an alter ego. So many people say to me, oh my God, you're actually nice. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that. I think you are very nice. I didn't, I yeah. didn't go on your site and, and think that Fodiva wasn't nice. Yeah. But it does feel like an alter ego. Okay, yeah, so you've developed that. Yeah. And then you, you just started going to restaurants and reviewing them? Right from the beginning, I, I had a business plan. I, my biz, I'm very strategic. I come from this P, PR strategic background that anything you do has to support the commercial interests of a company. So I had a business plan and that business plan gets revised every year. And last year it went out of the window and got completely changed. But no, I was very, I had an editorial policy that um, it was no freebies, anonymous policy, pay my own way. But yes, so I started to review restaurants anonymously. And where did you, I mean, this was 10 years ago. So did you post them? Did you print them? How did the work oh, get was, out? It, it was all on, on the website. So I built... It was already on the website. Yeah, okay. I built um, a WordPress. Um, Shirag will know because it was the early days of Foodorati Arabia, um, which was this food blogging the community. Old Chirag, maybe. Now he's yes. so well known. Yeah, he, I know. He, exactly. No, I mean, now yeah. you can't even get him on the phone. But uh, yeah, I see what you're saying. So, uh, no, I built this WordPress um, blog, yeah. essentially. And yes, at the time, I called myself a blogger. We all did. Um, and it, it grew very organically, but I did have set goals um, in place. And it's interesting because 10 years ago, I felt that things were still on the cusp in terms of sort of that digital transformation. So, you know, back in the day, if you recall, there were obviously, there still are, there were the Michelin guides and the Zagat guides in the US and so on and so forth. So you went digital from day one. So you were almost digitally native. Oh, yes. Um, which yeah. is great. At the time where people weren't yet necessarily going out and checking online for, you know, I mean, I, I used to walk around with a, with a Zagat book in, in New York and other places. So you were very early in this. How did you then manage to get the word out? Because at the time, having a WordPress site, there wasn't sort of Google optimization, SEO yeah. and all of that stuff. And there was no social media to support the site. So I personally was only on LinkedIn before. I wasn't even on Facebook. Wow, yeah. And then, so I, I built the blog, but then we had, we had Facebook. So I went onto Facebook and created a personal profile so that I could have a page. And then Twitter came. So it was very organic. organic. So we did have some channels. And then obviously Instagram came a few years later. But I'm always late to the game when it comes to, to social media. Or strategic. I mean, that could be a possibility, yeah, right? You wait and yeah. see what happens. Exactly, because I don't want to waste my time right. unless it's going to lead to something. And, yeah. and, and if you're going to invest your time, this will better be a platform that will support your work, right? Exactly. Because if not, why are you spending the yes. time? Was there a kind of um, eureka moment when you had one review that blew up or, or something that you said and then everybody knew Fudiva or at least... Is that how it felt to you? I did have a review the following year that went viral where I annoyed a chef. It was uh, a restaurant called Janino, which was at Maidan Beach Club at JBR. It was a two Michelin star restaurant in Milan. They'd opened here. And the review was actually, it was average. It wasn't that bad. But a lot of the, the content got lost in translation with the chef of the Milan operation. And he left a very obscene comment on your site on my site and and at that point the cyber law the uae cyber laws had been re-released 
And I, like quite rightly, I'm liable for all that content. As a result of that, it actually went viral. The, the restaurant here and the PR of the restaurant here stood by my review and said, we value Fudiva's opinion, etc. But um, I was interviewed by the Daily Telegraph, the Mail, an Italian newspaper. It literally, my website went down. For, amount of people who wanted the to amount, check. The day it hit the dailies in the UK and the Italian newspaper, because it was all, it was just over an, an Eid weekend, the website crashed. Well, you know, in, um, re in retrospect, sorry to interrupt you, I would imagine that it kind of makes sense, right, that a, a more critical review would be what blows you up as opposed to as opposed yeah. to a glowing review because people love controversy it's the same way the it's, algorithms it, of social media work right the more controversial bad news sells yes. it's very sad yes. but when i interestingly so when i did the top 10 reviews over the last 10 years not all of them um were negative but the negative ones were definitely going to make the cut yeah um because there's obviously a lot more interest in it and everyone loves a bit of controversy um, that's only natural. It's human nature. That's how, that's how, how we think. How would you deal yeah. with that personally? I mean, that must have been tough yeah, to wake up one day and find a nasty comment from a oh known my, chef oh my... as you're just starting to build your business. So also yeah. your credibility is on the line in the sense that people don't know you and they're saying, well, maybe she's a disgruntled customer or something or wants to freebie. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. No, it's, it's nerve wracking. I mean, I, I didn't sleep for three, four nights, um, because I, I responded to it, and okay, this is my PR training kicking in, but I responded to it. I was lucky to an extent that the the local operator here and stood the by. PR stood by what I said. But at the end of the day, it is, it's obviously it's still pretty scary. We, we live in a country where there is only a certain amount of freedom of press. But I had good legal advice. I knew that I was ticking every box. So I stood by it, um, and I didn't want to take that review down. That would have been Is my... Is it still there? It's still there, okay. yeah. And it actually, it's in the day when people used to comment on reviews. So I think it has like something like 200 comments on that review. Nowadays, people comment on the social media post oh. instead. It's been 10 years, um, and it's remarkable because those businesses are fragile. I mean, you're a business where you're dealing with emotional chefs, as you've just mentioned, emotional owners, um, emotional customers that have very strong views. Everybody has, I mean, owning a restaurant, I know this, everybody has very strong views when it comes to food, for better or worse. I feel like your journey has been as much about what you've decided to do as much as what you decided not to do. Because I'm sure there were many forks down the road where you were sort of saying, no, I could do this, but it doesn't make sense. It's not strategic or commercially viable. Can you walk us a little bit through that? So, you know, you obviously grew up your review business and then started having others also review restaurants on your behalf. So that business sort of grew very successfully over time. Were there other concrete opportunities that you've had and you turned down or decided not to pursue? Gosh, yeah. I'd be a millionaire now. I wouldn't be sitting here, Hashem, <laughs> if I accepted everything. Yeah, that came no, exactly. My way. I, I want to understand this I, thought process yeah. of what you. I, I turn down more things than I accept. I've had people or companies throw ridiculous amounts of money at me, but I know that I could not put my name behind that yeah. brand. I personally don't believe in it. So I always think when I get a, get approached, I always think, okay, is this a place? If it's a restaurant. Um, or a food product, 
Is it something that I would go to? Correct. Does it tick my editorial policy? Is it something that I would personally... If so, then I'm happy to have a discussion. And this is a discussion about... Because you do consulting business as well. Yes. Yeah. So how do you manage that? Okay, so I have different arms. Um, people don't really know what I do, which I'm not quite sure if that's a good thing or not. <laughs> but um, Fudiva earns... The website earns revenue through advertising, sponsorship, partnerships. I also have dining experiences, which I introduced um, nearly six years ago. And then I have a consultancy arm. So these are all three different revenue streams. And I, if you want to add in the new recommendation service. Yeah, the bespoke itineraries, yeah. that's the fourth one. They all have had different shares of the pie along the years. And I've had to adapt. Which so is, as a businesswoman makes sense, right? Yeah. So you have a diversified business with... Various revenue streams. So, for instance, if you look at traditional advertising, when I first started, it was all about banners. People wanted to take banners on the site. Whereas that's morphed into people want more organic um, activations. So it could be some a sponsored social media post. And that's where I am ad absolutely adamant that I will only ever talk about something that I 100% believe, believe in. It doesn't matter how much money people throw. It's I your credibility on that. Because it's my right? credibility. I have taken, it's, uh, it's 10 years, yes. and it, but it took a good few years to build that credibility. And I, my restaurant review policy has remained unchanged. It's from day one, it has always been no freebies, um, anonymous, pay, pay the bill. For myself and my guest reviewers, yeah. And how do you deal with the fact that you are hardly anonymous at this point, even though you're not in pink? Well, that's interesting. That's one of the reasons I took on the guest reviewers. It was a mixture of a, too many openings, and I couldn't personally keep up with it, and also because I was being recognized. So now when I have, let's say there's a restaurant at the top of the review list, I will think, okay, do I know the chef? Do I know the, the front of house manager? If that's a yes, I don't do it. Um, I commissioned that to a guest reviewer. What's the fun? Because you want to also go to some of the places yourself. Yeah, but then what happens is... <laughs> you if go it's anyway. I'll go after it's be, the review's but, run, yeah, I'll go afterwards. But you're not writing a review, okay. But um, as long as I can... If I'm recognized, as long as I can pay that bill, I might still run that review, provided I declare that in the review. Okay. Now, a lot of people think, oh, if you're recognized, the service must be amazing. But actually, sometimes they fluff it up because they get nervous. So actually, it's not in their interest to recognize me. <laughs> it's really interesting yeah. uh, psychology behind all of that. There is psychology yeah. because also at that point, you know that you've been recognized. So sort of probably subconsciously, there is an expectation of now faster service or prompt service. Or and more if it dishes doesn't, come or more out. Dishes, yeah. And if it doesn't happen, that creates a difference. And the service gets intrusive because they're like, is everything all right? And, yeah, that's, yeah, that's so interesting. With a successful brand behind her and her business celebrating 10 years, we'll find out what Fodiva sees as the next level for her business, right after the short break. Today's episode is brought to you by my friends at Monviso. Monviso was founded by an Italian entrepreneur right here in Dubai and has evolved into one of the region's most popular mineral waters, sourcing its water directly from the Italian Alps. When we met the Monviso team, we immediately connected with their overall vision and were impressed by their determination to make giving back to the community an integral part of their mission. Through their extensive recycling program and their Take Water Give Life initiative, 
Part of the proceeds of every bottle sold goes as a charitable donation to Al Jalila Foundation to support its education and research. So stock up on still or mineral water by using our exclusive Monviso discount code Lighthouse10, that's L-I-G-H-T-H-O-U-S-E 10, which you can redeem at store.monviso.com. Again, that's store.monviso.com. Welcome back. You're listening to the Lighthouse Conversations with food critic Samantha Wood. I've talked to a couple of other guests about this in different businesses, but I'm always very interested in, in this particular juncture. It's also something we face as a lighthouse as we grow. You know, so we have been growing in Dubai and going maybe in other places as well soon. But as you grow outside of your comfort zone and certainly outside of the place, the physical space, let's call it Dubai, that we are all in, how do you think about that? Because I could, I could easily think of a Fodiva in Abu Dhabi. I could also think of a Fodiva in Saudi, it's not a stretch. You have a brand, you could hire a team, you could raise capital, you could do a lot of things. How do you think about those things? Um, that juncture of moving from something that's still relatively personalized to something more institutionalized and larger. Is that an ambition of yours? Well, that was part of the reason for bringing in the guest reviewers. And actually, I, I was covering Abu Dhabi in the early days. But and it's then, on, the, on your site as well. And it's on the site, but then they stopped opening restaurants or yeah. any interesting restaurants. So yeah. yeah, and the last just, year has been also yeah. difficult. And obviously then the last year. But I am, my priority now is I'm actually working on a completely new business. Um, it's F&B related, but it's it's not media in the sense other than it, it will have a digital platform. Is this the big reveal? Are we getting like no, a scoop? No, I'm, not, I'm okay. not in a position well. to say anything <laughs> yet. To be honest, it's something I've been thinking about for years. And then crisis hit. And I'm like, why didn't I set this up before the crisis? Because it, um, it would have ticked that. But you know, I felt yet. and I was reading a lot of your reviews throughout the crisis as well. You've been very active over the last year. And you've done your dine around dinners as well, who are seemed very successful and we've attended a few of them. In a way, I felt the crisis has, across the F&B industry, and correct me if you think I'm wrong, there's been a flight to quality in a sense. And your reviews and your feedback is part of enhancing that quality or giving people that comfort. So I feel it was even more in demand than it may have been ironically, you know, in, in a different mm. time. Because I'm going to go to fewer restaurants, um, I'm going to spend maybe less money, and I want it to count. Hence, a Fodiva review uh, becomes even more essential in many cases for me to, to make that journey. Am I, am I right or am I reading yeah, this wrong? No, no, you're right. And also, I mean, okay, over the lockdown, I, I launched the UAE Restaurants Unite hashtag campaign to support the restaurants because there was so closures. Great. And I was like, I need to do something. What, what can I do? And anyway, I came up with it again. It was probably another shower moment. <laughs> That's where the best ideas come from. And, we should I, record you in the shower. Okay. I'm going to ask your husband to put just a small device, just to get a few Absolutely names and not. a few ideas. That's my downtown. I won't have any ideas if it's. I write recorded. the business plans. I just want the ideas. I don't have any of those shower moments. Do you not? Really? I mean, I mean, well, I mean, I don't know. Um, certainly didn't come up with like the lighthouse name and the shower. I can tell you that much. But that's um, probably maybe because you're working. You're working in a team, so you have that opportunity to brainstorm, maybe. Yeah, there's, that's a very good point. Yeah. Uh, I definitely work in a team, and there's, yeah, whereas you're building it on your own first, and then, yeah, yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Um, but I always, even headlines for my reviews are the best ones come in the shower, actually. Yeah. 
So I might write one, and then I and then I'm about to publish, let's say that morning, and then in the shower I think, oh no. How interesting it. would it yeah. be if it was if it's a very cold shower, you get certain ideas. If it's a very absurdly hot shower, a completely different okay. idea. I I cannot do. <laughs> Sorry, we don't want to intrude on your showers, but I'm just sort of. I cannot do that cold shower thing. I know it's very good for your health. Yeah. But maybe you'll come um, up with a completely maybe, different maybe, idea. Maybe, yeah. maybe, yeah. maybe there'd be typos in it. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of the things I noticed is um, you're also a very good writer, and you're very exacting. I think you care about your writing and the craft of writing. Obviously, you come from a PR background, so I'm not 100% surprised. I'm not hugely surprised, but I've also, frankly, seen a lot of crappy PR. I have to say. Do you feel that these things go hand in hand? Is that part of, so, you know, the food, the love, the passion for F&B, but also how you describe it, how you put it in words? Um, yeah. Now, there's, there's two things, and this, this becomes critical when I'm commissioning or looking at hiring new guest reviewers as well, because there's two things. You have to write, and you have to understand food. Um, and they're two very, very difficult things. Um, and, and, and I know I've grown and matured in both aspects over the years. I, I learn from every review. I learn from every dining experience. I learn from every chef. I learn from this podcast. Um, and I love soaking up things. The day I stop learning is the day I will retire. You're very retire. curious, which is wonderful. Yes. Um, but with my guest reviewers, so I've had, for instance, um, I, I, I get a lot of requests for people to review. Um, and... Everyone thinks, and there's guidelines, it's a two-page document, because I need to know that if I'm going in to review that restaurant and a guest reviewer is going in, we need to be looking at exactly the, the same things because we need to come up with a rating system, so it needs to be the fair five nights, yeah. and, uh, and objective. So um, a guest reviewer will go in and we'll do, they'll do a test first and they'll go to a restaurant and they'll go back and start writing it and then they'll email me and say, I can't do this, Samantha. This is so hard. Um, I can't think of another word to delicious, basically, which mm. is hard. Um, so there's there's an appetite there, but it, to do it, but it's it's very hard to have both skill sets. And that's yeah. so important because even when I was used to, I used to ask um, Deborah to give me uh, these bespoke itineraries. A big part of why I chose a restaurant was not just sort of the cuisine or the ambiance or the price point, any of that, was the way she described it. I mean, really, so the words, the description was so important to me. And no amount of images, even though they're very important, in my view, replaces the power of the word the in word. terms of how we put it together. How do you then make sure that the tone is sort of uniform across your site because you're getting different viewers? So I think, for example, you have you're incredibly funny. You have a you have kind of a very peculiar sense of humor, let's put it this way. <laughs> exactly. It's a bit cheeky. Now, your reviewers might not have that. So I encourage my reviewers to develop their own style. Um, in the same way that you might pick up the Times in the UK and you will read certain columnists because you can engage with them, you can relate to them. And there's others you might not. Um, so I know that some of my reviewers and, and even past reviewers um, that have since left Dubai have had a certain following because they engage with them. So factually, we all need to be going in and rating the same param and looking at the same parameters and the same measures. But the way they put that across is entirely up to them. So when I edit, I don't edit style. 
Mm. Um, I just language. Ed- it's, it's just like, obviously typos, grammar, if there is, but it tends to be minimal because th- they are experts at writing. But I will just make sure that fact, especially in negative reviews, um, factually, we w- I will double check everything. Um, so if you're saying that this dish didn't work, it always has to be backed up. It has to be constructive. It can't be because you just didn't like um, the chili in that. It, you felt the chili was overpowering. You've yeah. got to you've got to say why technically it doesn't work. Have there been reviews where you feel today that you've been either uh, overly generous or overly critical when you go back? Because some place I'm sure you've frequented a few times. That's a good question, actually. Um, not as such, but I have to be in the right frame of mind for a review. So I have in the past, if I've had a bad day. And let's say I've got a, a restaurant review booked. I tend to go on weekends because I'm a little bit more relaxed. And because at the end of the day, I want to enjoy the experience as well. And I don't want it to go out. It shouldn't feel like work in that sense, yeah. But it does. Um, and we can come on to that separately. <laughs> going out for a review is not going on a date with my night, date night with my husband. It's completely <laughs> different things. I have cancelled reviews because I'm not in the right frame of mind or I've had a bad day and I'm just, there's lots of negativity and I know I'm going to take it out on that restaurant. Yeah. I'm going to look for things. Of course. So, so I haven't, I, there's, there's nothing out there that I don't stand by today, actually. Yeah. But um, over the years, presumably what you've just said, which is, you know, you kind of have that you understand that your mood will affect your reviews. Yes, yeah. You've probably, I guess, learned to, to temper that in the sense of when to go or maybe you yes. know, not to go. Exactly. And also when it comes to writing the review, um, writer's block is a real thing. Oh, 100%. Um, I have to be in the right frame of mind to write. And as do, and I hear it from my guest reviewers as well. And do you take notes while you're there? So I take notes on my phone while I'm in the... I actually do a lot of research in advance. I have pretty much, especially now that you get all the menus in advance, I have pretty much decided what you're going, I'm to, going to eat when I'm there. Um, so I, I tend to review with my husband and that's because he's great at looking at different aspects of the dining experience. Well, you're but focused more on the food. We, no, no, no. I'll oh. look at, no, no. I, I've just meant we complement each okay. other in terms of understanding and looking at the dining experience. But um, we can then focus on everything that's happening. If I go out for, to eat with a friend on a review with a friend that I haven't seen in a couple You're of gonna weeks. You're going to get distracted. Get distracted yeah. and I can't focus. Um, so I, I very, very rarely do that. So that's sort of one criteria there. And then you take that back. So you take all the notes and you go back. Yeah, and- so, and, and I will then make notes. Now I might be led, I, like if a waiter says, for instance, would you like us to recommend um, some specials or anything? I'll say, yes, of course. And I might be swayed on one or two dishes, or I might test. I might say, I'm in between this and this. What would you recommend? Um, so it's not set in stone, but I do take notes um, just on, um, on my phone. And then I try and schedule that review. Again, this is why it's important that I do it on a weekend, that I, the following day I have some time to make some notes, just to embellish my notes on the phone. And then I'll set aside another few hours during the week. It'll usually be on an evening or a weekend again to write it because I get distracted in the daytime and I need 
at least three to four hours to write that review. What's the impact of time on that? So if you let three, four, five, six days go, do you feel that that affects? Okay, that's another good question as well. And, and it's also in my brief to guest reviewers. Um, I go in and review when I know that I will be able to write it pretty much soon after. Correct. Because I want to go live, I want to publish that review ideally within a week to 10 days of the dining experience because things change here. Um, and unfortunately, consistency or lack of consistency is an issue here. And, and, and I've had readers that have read a review and have said, oh, we really look forward to it, but it really disappointed in some cases. Um, and that's sometimes because they'll go sort of a month after I've published the review maybe which essentially is one and a half months since I dined there. And things, unfortunately, things change. We also know, um, I know from my own experience, that the early stages uh, of opening a restaurant, when it first opens, are usually bumpy, typically. So do you wait that period out and go when you feel things have stabilized? Or would you say you'd go during that period just to kind of see how, I mean, is there a rule here? Yeah, and this is in my editorial policy. Um, I will... Usually leave restaurants a month to settle in, but go in within three months. Interesting. The okay. challenge I have is that, especially with high-profile restaurants, so actually that also might tick a review box if there's been a lot of hype. And I don't mean online by influencers, but by the, the company and behind it. Oh, the company um, A lot of hype. I'm, I will go in and review because I want to make see if it, it lives up if to it that lives hype. Up to that hype. And because I have requests, I, as soon as a restaurant opens here, bearing in mind my following are, are foodies. Um, yeah, they all like, want to know. Samantha, what can did you, you think? go in? Yeah. Can you go in? Um, so I can't leave it too long because they want to know. And, but, um, and it's only fair, give them time to settle in. But sometimes... It's actually better to go in early because restaurants become complacent. So they're actually better in the beginning than they are six months down the line. So it just, it depends on the restaurant, their setup, their operation. Would you go in and review a restaurant three, four, five years into it again? Um, actually, I got asked that the other day. It's, it's actually something I'm now considering. I've never done that before. Because that would be very I've, interesting I've, to see, right? Then and now. I've always stood by, it's just one review, because there were so many new openings. Now that we don't have as many, I know there are, there are a few scheduled, but it's certainly not on the scale that it was sort of two years ago. And, and that's a good thing. And I might consider doing that now, actually. Yeah, I think it will be very yeah. interesting to see that, because yeah. some have stood the test of time and others haven't. Yes. Going into the rest of 21 and 22, since you have your pulse on the kind of F&B scene and what's happening here, what are the kind of things that you're seeing, the kind of trends uh, in a good way? I don't mean trends as in trendy. So one, obviously, you spoke about, which is that we're seeing more and more homegrown concepts, which is wonderful. We're also seeing our own sort of, in my view, homegrown celebrity chefs in a way, or chefs that people are following, which I think yeah. is wonderful. And many of them are work with each other and know each other. And so we really, our ecosystem is growing. What do, you, what do you foresee uh, for the rest of this year and next year? Okay, can I, can I talk about one thing that I think Dubai yeah, really course. needs FMB-wise? Yes, please. And, and that's the only way it will ever be taken seriously on the global stage, is we need licensed, modern, Middle Eastern restaurants here. 
We don't a have... A few tried. We, we have we have Nineveh now. We had Kubara. And that, to this day, is the only restaurant I could ever say was a favorite restaurant. Like, 100%. Um, and I actually shed tears when it when it closed down. I, I was hoping it was... It would reopen, but it never did. It's part of it that when we say Middle Eastern, it's it's obviously a very catch-all phrase because the cuisines are so different in some ways. I mean, you know, like a yeah. Marathi is different than Egyptian, different than... So is that part of the issue that in Turkish, if you include that, yeah, Levant, etc.? Yeah, you, you can't... I mean, it would be great to have modern Emirati. I mean, um, yeah. we're in the UAE after all. But... Um, and there are a few sort of smaller, more sort of unlicensed concepts that are doing their thing in that field. But um, it's, it's a tricky cuisine because it's only just beginning to move out of the home into the public arena. 100%. Um, and it needs to be refined to reach a sort of fine dining level, which is why I think I say broader Middle Eastern. As in, at the end of the day, we have Italian restaurants and Italian cuisine varies. Indian restaurants, uh, Indian cuisine varies across the yeah, country. 100%. So yes, um, to group all these countries is probably a little bit unfair, but um, you can choose a folk. You can have a modern Middle Eastern restaurant with a focus on Moroccan, perhaps. That's right. Because we, we need people to be visiting Dubai and wanting to go to these restaurants. The same way when you go to Italy, you're only ever going to eat Italian food. You're not going to go and eat sushi in Italy, are you, really? Or you might eat pizza yeah. in Japan. Yeah, yeah because Japan does everything. But that's the only way I think um, we will actually have a, see a, a restaurant scene that we can truly say um, is one to be proud of and can, comp can compete on a global level. And that was my next question. So how do you feel we currently stand when compared to the global cities that we all know? You know, the London, New Yorks, and, and so on and so yeah. forth, or even East, even Hong Kong, Singapore. I mean... How do you feel today? I'm sure you have international visitors and national uh, clients and people that ask for itineraries and whatnot. How do you feel they rate Dubai? And what else needs to be done there? Not just in terms of type of cuisine, but type of establishments. Mm. I think we need to see a relaxation of licensing laws. Um, okay. Alcohol is ridiculously expensive here. The 30% tax is killing everyone. So I think that doesn't help. Um, Dubai is very good at promoting um, the destination, whether it's food, whether it's health, whatever pillar you want to pick. Um, and people come here for, for food, but it's prohibitively expensive to dine out here um, across all levels. So that cost, um, especially when you're looking at, uh, looking at license, license, needs to become m more reasonable. Um, and yes, it's a great place if you, if you want to sample any cuisine under the sun, Apart from modern <laughs> Middle Eastern high-end, yes, you have your Levantine restaurants, yeah. but, but visitors will come here and might not even try a shawarma, which is a shame yeah. as well. Yeah. So there need, a, lo a lot of work needs to be done in that field. It's also because we have an expatriate community of chefs that tend to specialize in cuisine from their, from their countries yes, as correct. well. So that's that correct. doesn't help that scenario as well. So I... I if I, was, if I was brand Dubai, I would be doing scholarship programs for Emiratis, for people from the Levant, from the Middle East, encouraging them to, to become chefs. We're seeing it in Saudi a lot, actually. Yeah, yeah. That's happening a lot there. But I not agree so with much you. here. 
I agree with you, and I think we can even go beyond just food, even pastry. I mean, the Levant from Syria and Lebanon and many others are known for fantastic pastry. Just to see specialized uh, pastry shops, you know, that are coming out under Arab um, pastry chefs. I think yes. that would be wonderful. Yeah. And they can be, as you said, modern contemporary. It, it can be a new read of, of what we've all eaten at home and, and, and growing up. I, mm. I agree with you. I mean, even I'm Egyptian and even Egyptian food... For many years, even in Cairo, you couldn't go out to a restaurant and eat the kind of Egyptian food you eat at home yeah. until you started having one and two. And they were hugely popular when they yeah. arrived on the scene. And many of the tourists that really love food started going to them. So I think you're right. You need to extend that beyond the home to, to the, the actual F&B scene. Anything else? I mean, we've seen a proliferation of, of food halls recently, a couple of other concepts. Anything else that you feel is, is needed um, to kind of grow out and round out that scene? I, I think we need a, a little bit more innovation. There's a lot of copy, copy and paste here. And I think that comes back to why people are opening restaurants as well. Um, so it would, it, it's not, it, Dubai isn't a chef-driven um, city. It's very much a restaurateur or an investor-driven city when it comes to restaurants. And a part of that, might, might add, just someone, because I've had experience in this, is because it's expensive. Yeah. So you have to either raise capital or have the capital, which is obviously not... So, you know, while maybe in New York you can go... I mean, it's still very expensive there, to be very honest. But I think the barriers to entry here remain a bit too high. I agree with that. And this may be changing now. As rents are coming down, as... Yeah. as they're relaxing rules. Um, some of the operators are helping some of the restaurants to, to defer yeah. some of their expenses, etc. I think you might, might see more of that. Yeah, definitely. And, and hence the rise of the, the whole food hall concept as well because um, of the business model that they're, they're offering those restaurateurs. Um, but again, this is where I, I, I really did think that the, the alcohol tax would have come down last year. And I know a lot of other people in the industry were hopeful but that hasn't changed. Um, so again, that's because that that's where the that's where the real margins are as well. Um, so that's still still very much a challenge. But I think that's where the, the city needs to become, from a, a dining perspective, more chef driven. Um, now, it doesn't mean that you negate other aspects of the dining experience, because I actually rate service just as high as food. They're all equally, all the parameters are equally measured, because um, when you think about it, provided the food is good in a restaurant, it doesn't need to be wow, but it needs to be good. Um, you are more likely to go back if a waiter has wowed you. 100%. Because you will remember that person. Um, it's a people business. Um, whereas, um, if the service lets you down, you're not, it doesn't matter how good that food is, you're not going back again. Um, so that's, it's, it's so important. So restaurateurs are important as well. So whether they, whether it's, it's them that that's leading the restaurant or a chef that's leading it, they need to be working in, in tandem. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. I have one last question for you going back to your, um, business, Going again, looking back for the last 10 years, is there, do you have any particular regret and something you would have done differently or, or any major challenge? I'm just, I'm bringing this up because you've, you've built a great brand and you're, you have a very successful brand. And when I speak to my guests here, I try to have people understand that this is a journey that takes time. Your case testament to you, it's been 10 years. 
but also their ups and downs and not just focus on, you know, when they've arrived and become successful. So is, was there a point during your, your 10-year career building for the event, building your brand, where you had a challenge that you felt was unsurmountable? or When I've had run-ins with chefs, definitely. Um, so that's been the, the main... Yeah, those have been times where, be, where you think, gosh... Do you this, feel, can I ask you this, do you feel so betrayed because yeah. you've, in a way, supported businesses and restaurants and chefs so much so when it comes from a chef, it's very hard not to take it personally? Is that, is that... Not, I, I understand um, the other side, um, and which is why I always make sure that these reviews are constructive and they're not personal. Um, but that how I've been able to build build that credibility is by being honest. So when a, a review I know is is going to be negative, so let's say it's a two, two and a half out, out of five knives, a lot of time goes behind checking that and a lawyer looks over it as well. Um, because I need to make sure that um, I'm ticking, ticking all the boxes. But it's it's a scary moment and then... Then you publish, and then it's a waiting game to see. Okay, is this going to be accepted? And it's, from my from with my PR hat, I always say you can turn a negative review into a positive um, in how you respond to that. And I've had restaurants. I'm not going to name it, um, but I've had a restaurant that um, I gave a very average review. Uh, it was a two or a two point five in the early days, and two years later. They, they took it on board. Two years later, the owner messaged me, who I didn't know. Because remembering, I, I tend to go in anonymously. So I don't necessarily know who the investor is or the person that's behind it, other than the, the chef and the restaurant manager. And said, Samantha, we learned so much from that review. We changed so much. He said, I actually, I wanted to reach out to you over the years, but never got around it, not got around to it. I'd love to meet with you and just explain that process to you. Um, and since then, I've I've been back a number of times personally enjoyed and, it. and enjoyed it. I've included it in dining experiences. So that's, that, that's, that's an example of turning a negative into a positive. And do you feel when you sometimes get these uh, pushbacks from chefs especially, does that make you gun shy in the sense of, maybe subconsciously censoring yourself when you're writing uh, a next review? I probably have the opposite problem, actually. <laughs> no, I'm quite, I'm an opinionated person. Good, but, uh, you know, as, and, as you and should And I be. stand by it, and that, that's always at the back of my mind. Um, you, but you can be constructive. So when you read the UK f the restaurant critics, oh my God. They shred I, them I to just, pieces. They shred them. It's entertainment value. Which, which is a bit unfair in my view, knowing how much goes into a restaurant. Yes. You should um, at least be constructive. Unfair, but you talk to some of those restaurants, and unless every UK restaurant reviewer has slated that restaurant, they actually benefit from it. Yeah. Um, because it's it create, it's, creates controversy, and people will say... I actually want to visit to see if it's really that bad. Or a lot of people in the UK also read because they, they have no intention of visiting those restaurants. They're reading because that columnist provides pure entertainment. But yes, it, it that that element is 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 pretty pretty scary in the process. But and I always say I can only sleep at night having told a true story. People would argue the reverse, but I can't. Um, I need to have told an honest story. 
Thank you for listening to the Lighthouse Conversations with me, Hasha Montasser. We're produced by Chirag Desai, and our content director is Farah Sharif. Make sure not to miss any future episodes by following the Lighthouse Conversations in your favorite podcast player, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or Anghemi. We'll be back in two weeks.